manufacturing shift over there, but because it hasn't been as well, it's kind of saved China on that basis. Okay. Thank you all very much. You have the Nissin Dialdas, who's Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital, Le Shah, who is Asia Chief Economist at BBVA Research, and our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, Asian stocks all drifting lower. The ASX 200 in Australia off half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, which was at its highest level since 1990 yesterday is down two-thirds of a percent at the moment. Futures markets indicating a loss of about 70 points for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is firmer this morning at $74.05 a barrel. Gold is slipping a couple of dollars at $1,803 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chats coming up after the news with Jim Gordon and Anna Fenton. Let me give you the weather forecast for today. Hot with sunny periods and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms later. Maximum temperature of about 30 degrees. And the outlook is for occasional showers in the next couple of days. Sunny periods during the weekend. The temperature right now, 29 degrees, 77% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. The Chinese ambassador to Britain has been banned from attending an event in the country's parliament because Beijing imposed sanctions earlier this year on lawmakers who highlighted alleged human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Beijing has condemned the decision as despicable and cowardly. Robert Kemp reports. China imposed the sanctions on nine British politicians, lawyers and an academic in March for spreading what it said were lies and disinformation over the treatment of Uyghur Muslims in the country's far west. Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House of Commons, and John McFarl, the Speaker of the House of Lords, stepped in to prevent Cheng Jiguan from speaking at an event in Parliament. Mr Hoyle said he was not banning the Chinese ambassador permanently, but only while the sanctions remained in place. A prisoner's rights advocate says he doesn't see how the activities of prison concern groups can endanger national security. Richard Soy from the Society for Community Organisation was commenting after the group, Warfare, disbanded. It supported people jailed over the 2019 social unrest. Last week, the security minister said outside groups were encouraging inmates to recruit followers to endanger national security. Mr Tsui expressed disappointment at the welfare's decision and said he hoped more groups would participate to support the welfare of inmates. Unless the government department or the authority have a concrete evidence that make those allegations, Otherwise, I don't see giving assistance or help to prisoners inside bar would lead to any endanger of national security. Bookings have opened for non-Hong Kong residents who've been in Macau or Guangdong province for the past 14 days to apply for quarantine-free entry to Hong Kong. The arrangement is part of the government's Come to HK scheme, which allows for 2,000 such arrivals per day. Separately, Hong Kong reported two imported COVID cases yesterday. And Fujian province has reported a further increase in the number of locally transmitted COVID cases, with the tally yesterday rising to 120. Authorities there are battling what appears to be an outbreak linked to the highly contagious Delta variant. There were also 19 local asymptomatic infections, which authorities do not count as confirmed cases. Natalie Ching has more. At a press conference, the Provincial Anti-Pandemic Work Group said the confirmed cases had been found in the cities of Putian, Chenzhou and Xiamen. A near carrier, who had no symptoms, was also found in Putian, where the outbreak is thought to have started. 
All of the infected have been sent to designated hospitals. Although the numbers are small, the number of confirmed cases is nearly 73 percent higher than Monday's figure of 59, which itself was more than double Sunday's total. Since Friday, there have been 102 cases. The outbreak is especially worrying as the week-long National Day holiday is fast approaching. Xiamen is also a major transportation hub. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat uh, with me, Jim Gould, and your co-host this morning is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, development of the Sekku Chow waste incinerator and its impact on the marine environment, and later on controls on subdivided flats. Green groups have uh, criticised the government decision to allow underwater cable installation for the waste facility during the most active months for the local population of finless porpoises. The cables will provide electricity for the $31 billion incinerator, which is currently under construction off South Lantau, in one of the porpoises' main habitats. The Environmental Protection Department has said noise from the work will not affect the aquatic mammals, and CLP Power has said it will adopt mitigation measures and will halt work temporarily if they are spotted nearby. But the conservationists are concerned. And after 9.15, we're discussing rent controls on subdivided flats with the administration proposing to lower the limit of rent increases from 15 to 10%. Let us know your thoughts on either of these subjects. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 this morning, uh, joining us uh, in our studio here in Kowloon Tong, we have uh, Tyson Chang, who's chairman of Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society, and Doris Wu, who's a project manager for cetacean conservation at WWF Hong Kong. And also on the line, we have uh, Gary Stokes, uh, co-founder and director of operations for Oceans Asia and formerly the Asia director for Sea Shepherd Global. Um, good morning to you all. Perhaps, um, um, Gary Stokes, if we could start with you because I know uh, you're something of a specialist on the finless porpoises. You've been monitoring the local population. Um, what do you think about uh, this decision to allow the cable installation during the months of uh, December to May? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on and, um, and inviting me to you know, obviously share my thoughts. But, uh, um, yeah, obviously doing the observations, uh, you do have the peak times and the down times of the, of the fitness porpoises. I mean, they're pretty much resident, but we do see a higher concentration in those months. So any construction work in those times are, um, are going to be detrimental. Um, I think a lot of the EIAs that are being passed through very swiftly with very little regard to you know, the marine wildlife at the moment. So, Gary, they said that they wanted to relocate this cable from a landing point on the rocky shore to Chengsha Beach. How on earth is that better? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of baffles, uh, that baffles me completely. Um, why? <laughs> uh, maybe easier access for them to work? Or I have no idea. Um, it doesn't make sense. I mean, we see a lot of this stuff on Chima Wan Peninsula there on the rocks where... They do a lot of the work connecting uh, 
Chung Chow or, or Seku Chow, so I, it doesn't really make much sense to me at all. Exactly, and if you look at um, Tong Fuk, where the reach, uh, the massive um, internet cable makes landing there, it's all on the rocks. Because if you think of the topography of Chungsha Beach, it's completely flat, very shallow water for a great distance. So how do you envisage them even being able to land the cable there, and what sort of infrastructure will they require around the cable? Well, I mean, I think, I think the interesting thing is to look at the other project which is out there, which is the LNG, which um, I'm, I'm actually more concerned about. Um, and, and with that, that has been running undersea cables from the LNG, which is directly off of Chungsha Beach uh, between Sokos and Seku Chow. And that runs an undersea cable all the way to Lama Power Station and then all the way up the other side, up the west of, uh, of Lantau, all the way up to the, the Castle Rock uh, Power Station up that way. Um, and just monitoring what it's been doing, you know, the huge barge, the kick-up of the silt and everything else um, going right through the Dolphin Territory and now also the Porpoise Territory. I mean, it's, it's a big operation. Um, but in terms of disruption, I mean, it's going to be bad. It's going to be very bad. Um, but I'm more worried about the disruption, the noise disruption that we're getting from the LNG, which no one is talking about. Um, we've got percussion driving going on there, um, which is right in the middle of the porpoise territory, which is probably why we're not seeing anywhere near as many porpoises at the moment. Uh, and yet nobody's talking about that. Gary, just um, just remind the listeners that LNG? The liquid natural, oh, gas, natural gas is actually mm. a offshore hub that they're building um, a jetty um, right out near the border, but it's right between the Soko Islands and Seku Chow. Um, and it's, it's going to have a permanent uh, vessel there, a 300-metre-long gas carrier. And that's going to be sitting there constantly, uh, connected by pipes, to the two power stations, and that's to basically try to steer us away from coal and go to liquid natural gas, which is obviously cleaner, but it's still a fossil fuel. Um, so that project's going on, but the sad thing is, depending on which consultant or scientist uh, is doing, uh, is hired for each project, depends on how much media attention they get, and, and the LNG is not getting any media attention at all. Uh, and yet it's, I would say, as disruptive, if not more disruptive. The okay. okay, okay. Um, I should say at this stage that we did invite the Environmental Protection Department and also CLP Power, which is doing the cabling work, uh, to send representatives uh, to the programme. Uh, they weren't able to do so, but they both uh, issued statements, so we, we can use um, the contents uh, of those statements to um, and balance the discussion uh, somewhat. Uh, we'll do our best there. Um, the EPD uh, did say that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, CLP said that the decision to uh, relocate the cabling on the Lantau Island side was uh, in consideration of minimising uh, ecological impacts to the nearby environment. And um, it's also proposed um, uh, a number of mitigation measures uh, for the cabling work to try and minimise the impact uh, to the finless porpoises. Uh, these include... Um, 
um, prioritising and carrying out submarine cabling installation works at Seku Chow on the Seku Chow side in November, right before the peak season for the uh, finless porpoises. Um, setting up an observation zone with a radius of 250 metres from the operation vessels during cable installation works. And if they spot any porpoises during that period, uh, they're going to suspend work. Um, they'll implement uh, vessel operation rules to restrict the sailing range, limit the work area, route and speed of the marine vessels, carry out construction work during the daytime only, uh, conduct water quality monitoring for submarine cable installation work, and divers will work within uh, what they call a, a silt curtain, silk, silt, sorry, silt curtain enclosed area uh, near the shore ends. Um, uh, Tyson Chang from Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society, are those... Um, mitigation measures are going to be effective? Uh, thanks for having me here. So first of all, uh, you've mentioned the relocation of the cable landing and you've mentioned all the mitigation measures uh, mentioned by the uh, project uh, proponent. And what makes us really worried it more is about the reschedule of the uh, laying of the underwater cable because it is written on the original environmental impact assessment document that they shouldn't do any uh, noise, noisy work, sensitive work to fitness purposes during the uh, peak season of the occurrence of the fitness purposes in South Lantau, which is from around uh, roughly December to next year, May. But we, they are actually uh, moving the whole process to the peak season just because they said they want to accommodate the, the swimmer in South Lanta waters. And also, I really want to stress on the point that fitness purposes are particularly uh, uh, shy and elusive animals, and they are really uh, sensitive to human activities. They do not uh, handle stress very well uh, from our observation from from both boat based observation and land based observation so um, it is so they are more susceptible to human impacts compared to the other species that we can find in Hong Kong which is the Chinese white dolphins so they are also meant they also mentioned in the variation of the environment environmental permit document that they think because of the uh, frequency of the noise produced by the uh, underwater cable laying is not overlapping with the frequency that the fitness purposes are using for foraging and like socializing. That is not true because there are recent scientific publications that proves that actually the fitness purposes can hear very well on that range that Although they are not using that frequency of sound to forage, and they, but because of the fact that they can hear the noise very well, they will also try to avoid using that area if any kind of underwater construction work, uh, construction work is occurring in that area. So that what make, makes us really worried about the uh, decision of the CLP and the oh, government. Yeah. So okay. where do they go if, assuming their natural habitat is disrupted? Do they migrate here or are they here all year round? Where do they go if it Yeah, this is a very good question. Noisy. A lot of people are assuming that the fitness purposes, when there is something bad happening, when there's a lot of disturbances happening in their habitat, they will simply move away and then maybe come back after all the work is done 
but we do not anticipate that because we already see the case of Chinese white dolphins that they have moved away from their important habitat for so long, more than 10 years maybe, uh, because there are just so much uh, construction work happening in the North Lanta waters. And we, like what I've mentioned, particularly if fitness purposes are such uh, kind of animals that is so sensitive to human disturbances and activities, they may simply just stop using that environment, maybe temporarily, temporarily, or even for longer. And they go there not because of no reason. We we think that maybe Doris can uh, supplement more. Like they're using there, we have observed that they're using there for foraging, for feeding. So that means if they are not using that area, they may have less chance of feeding, of getting enough food. And I honestly, like offshore water for them, they cannot go really far because they are coastal species. And also the offshore water is not much better than Hong Kong waters. You know, there are a lot going on in Chinese waters. What do they eat? So they mostly eat some offshore like spe uh, species like squid or like small fishes. So we we uh, which is very different from what Chinese white dolphins are feeding. So they kind of have a um, different habitat in Hong Kong waters. That's all. That's why. Yeah. Okay. We we should point out that the work is uh, due to start uh, in late uh, 2023 and and would be due for completion in early 2024. Um, uh, Doris Wu. Um, what do you think about um, the proposed measures that uh, CLP has offered to take to minimise the impact on the on the finless porpoises? Uh, we we actually think that it's insufficient because, like, um, according to the written reply by CLP, so all these measures you just mentioned actually uh, they they have been implemented for the uh, incinerator works, but according to the and. Uh, EMNA monitoring for that project, it actually shows a decline in the fitness purple occurrence uh, around the Shekutau area, according to their um, feodal light tracking survey and also um, to their passive acoustic monitoring survey. So that actually shows that the impacts has been created, but we didn't really see any um, like mitigation taken. They just keep on like monitoring, they just keep monitoring. Um, the declining trend in their monthly or quarterly uh, report, but didn't really like take action. So, if the same set of measures will be taken for uh, the submarine cable insulation works, we were pretty sure that like um, the occurrence of the porpoise will decline further, particularly when the works uh, are done during the peak season of the um, porpoise using the South Lantau waters. Mm. I mean, they do say also in their statement, CLP power attaches great importance to the marine ecological and environmental uh, conservation. Um, they consulted uh, professionals uh, uh, assessing the impact on the marine ecology. They also had a meeting with uh, concerned environmental groups, didn't they, um, um, some time ago? Uh, we, we knew that they... they kind of like arrange um, some informal meeting with them but beforehand we were not very I mean that I, I guess that's the same case for like Dolphin Conservation Society as well so before uh, the meeting we were not like very well informed of um, what specific topic to be discussed so we kind of like didn't send the, the suitable person to talk. 
Okay. Exactly. Okay. Like, uh, like we, we have actually met with CLP, like our representative have met with them and they just gave us all the promising, like promised that they will not like take, uh, like they will not uh, begin any like work during peak seasons. But like after a few months, like six, six months, they can totally like go to go into another direction that, oh no, because of the swimmers, we are going to do the work during peak seasons, which is very different from our anticipation. So in the future, we really recommend that we, we can have like a formal stakeholder or even like green group engagement session. Right. right. And, and, um, and Doris Wu, um, I know you're not very happy that the, uh, the environmental permit was amended. Mm -hmm. Tell us yeah. more about that. Yeah, we are actually like very disappointed by um, the government's decision of approving such um, procedure lacking of um, transparency and also public consultation. So as you mentioned, like um, the the works are rescheduled to uh, avoid disturbance to the beach or to to us. Uh, during summertime when we like use the beach very often at the expense of the popo's survival. But to us, we're just saying that like at summertime, we can go to somewhere else, spending our time at other beach. But that's the only place for porpoise to, you know, forage, to breed. So, um, yeah, we, we like by power, uh, prioritizing, we do think that we have to prioritize our fitness porpoise survival over um uh, leisure or, or the leisure purpose of the beach. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they also say that the submarine cables will mainly be uh, buried uh, by divers using water jets uh, rather than uh, dredging. Um, um, do you know much about that, um, Gary Stokes? Uh, um, this is apparently to minimise the impact on the seabed. Um, well, I mean, I would just imagine that the, uh, the divers will be used, as we mentioned, it's a very, very shallow approach into into the beach area there um you wouldn't be able to get these vessels in there i mean uh, i mean i have a hard time coming into chungsha in my small rib well you can't even you can't bring a foot. junk in gary sorry you can't even bring a junk in no exactly so to be able to get those dredges in there's no way so that's why they would probably be saying they'll be using uh, uh divers in that area but well, uh, I, I was filming <laughs> the dredger coming around Fan Lao for the LNG, and the I've got the aerial footage of that. And just, I mean, what this does is it basically dredges the channel, and then another barge comes along, and they or the barge comes back along and, and lays the cable, and then they fill it over again. Um, and the disruption to the environment there is is just it's insane. Um, and we we will out there we never saw any dolphins anywhere near it when we were there and the same goes for fitness porpoises um so yeah both these projects and this is the, where i keep emphasizing it's like having you know we're complaining about the people talking too loud at the next table but we've got a rock concert going on in the background and nobody's talking about the rock concert um we do need to look at both um both projects because they're both disrupting the habitat. So, so, so the, the shallow water. We're talking about the Changsha beach end. Is that right? Yeah, what, yeah. That's, uh, that's where I would imagine they would have to use divers mm. because they couldn't get the vessels in there to lay the the cables. How about at the other end, uh, at the, uh, the sort of reclaimed area behind Seku Chow, where the incinerator is being built? 
Well, they, they use they use the divers for for a lot of the underwater work, but they're hardly going to be laying cable all the way to Changsha, so uh, from Sekuchao to Changsha. So the vessel will probably, most likely, I'm just assuming here, would uh, lay the cable all the way. Divers will be doing the connections on either end, uh, but in the shallow areas, they would have to use divers to excavate, lay it, and cover it again. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Doris Wu, what about the impact on other sort of marine wildlife in the area? Mm. Um, we are actually quite concerned that, um, so in the report or the application of the uh, variation of environmental permits, so they mentioned that um, uh, the cable insulation works and also like associate vessel operation, they will emit uh, noise, uh, low frequency noise, and also noise ranging from 20 to uh, 25k kilohertz. So that not only uh, impact fitness porpoise because the noise is partially uh, within the hearing range of the animal, we were, were actually uncertain about their impact on the fish species as well because for a lot of sonifers fish, they um, they can hear very low frequency noise. So so we're not sure like if when there are noise um, of shakujiao whether that will um, alter the distribution of the fish and also the marine wildlife relying on fish for food. And the Chinese white dolphins, are, um, do they frequent that area at all or they're, they're sort of further west of Lantau? So they mostly use the west uh, Lantau and the south Lantau. Mm -hmm. So they use more of the south Lantau water, especially during summertime, during the rain season, where um, when the finest porpoises are moving more uh, more offshore during that season because like uh, the freshwater effect from the Pearl River try, uh, is diluting the water, Hong Kong ocean waters of especially the southern uh, Lanta waters. That's why they're not using the southern, what, southern Lanta water because their food sources are not there during the rain season. And uh, like what you like what you said, Chinese white dolphin is using that area also. That we can also anticipate there will be some impact on the Chinese white dolphins. Although we think Chinese white dolphins are more resilient to human impacts that we often observe they like swimming around boats and like swimming in the ferry channels. But we still think that any kind of underwater noise or any kind of construction, especially like the something like uh, cable laying, which we think we reckon that it will not be a single vessel work. We, there, there will be transportation boats carrying workers on and off the barge. There will be, will be divers boats carrying divers. So there will be not only uh, no frequency noise, I think, there will be some high frequency, high frequency noise from, from some small vessel as well that will impact on both species of dolphins and porpoises. Uh, yeah, the number of sightings of uh, porpoises uh, have gone down in recent years. Um, are, are you concerned at all that you know, they might disappear altogether at some stage? <laughs> so there is no accurate estimation of the population size for Venus porpoises. So we cannot be certain uh, that the Venus porpoises will, be, will go extinct because of all these uh, humans' impact. 
but we we are seeing a down, downward trend of the num of the abundance of Venus porpoises or the number of observations of the Venus porpoises in Hong Kong waters. That makes us really concerned because, like, uh, we we are thinking Hong Kong waters may be a better uh, areas of waters within Chinese waters because there are like multiple construction projects happening in like the Pearl River estuary area. So we we have been thinking like Southland waters is a better pe- a better place for the fitness purposes. But now we can see the government is planning a lot of like reclamation projects in the future maybe. So we we do worried about the future of the fitness purposes. Uh, they're actually called. Uh I believe, Indo-Pacific finless porpoises, to give them their uh, full name. They're listed as vulnerable on uh, the red list of threatened species. Um, uh, Gary Stokes, I mean, uh, there must be sort of uh, other populations of them uh, up and down the coast and around the region. Yeah, I mean, their range range goes... There are two species. Uh, There's a northern species, the... which is around the Korea sort of peninsular area coming down to Taiwan. There's a bit of an overlap there. And then the species that we get, the Indo-Pacific. Now, you know, as Tyson points out, we don't know what the population numbers are. Um, But what we do know is the mortality rate has been going up and up and up and up. And we're raising the alarm. We put out a porpoise report on the status of their... um, the issues at the moment. We put that out uh, last year. We're putting out an updated version um, in the next month. Um, we need people to start, you know, really <laughs> waking up to the fact that these animals are really are under, misunderstood. We don't know enough about them. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the vaquita over in Mexico, okay. and that went down to what about? I think there's about five or six left now. Okay. Um, okay. And Got- that one they've written off. Right. So we need to do this. We need the alarm bells ringing here. Okay, well, stay with us. We've got to take a short break uh, for the news summary at 9 o'clock. A quick look at the weather, hot with sunny periods and a few showers. Uh, The the outlook, uh, occasional showers in the next couple of days, sunny periods during the weekend. Currently, it's 29 degrees, humidity 75%. Imported COVID cases yesterday. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat uh, with Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. Uh, this morning, for our main topic, we're talking about the uh, Sekku Chow incinerator and the effect on the finless porpoises uh, in the area. And later on, uh, we'll be uh, joined by another guest to talk about uh, the rent rise limits on subdivided flats. Um, we have with us uh, Tyson Chang, who's uh, chairman of Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society, and Doris Wu, project manager for cetacean conservation at WWF Hong Kong, and also Gary Stokes, who's a co-founder and director of operations for Oceans Asia, formerly the Asia director for Sea Shepherd Global. Anna. So, Tyson, I think many people who are very concerned about this uh, share a sense of frustration in that we have these EIA reports, we have all these assessments done, and then when commercial considerations um, become more important, they just seem to get modified, adapted or ignored in the worst case. So how, how can Hong Kong people find a voice about this and how can they make their voices heard by the people that need to hear it? 
So our group has been working with like multiple green local green groups and also international green groups like WWF. So we are doing uh, a campaign to raise the awareness of the Hong Kong public as well as we also want to urge the government to quickly expand the marine protected area they have been talking about for more than 10 years in southern Lanta waters. And also we really want to ask the Hong Kong public, if you still believe in the power of citizens, please write emails and letters to like government departments like LCSD or AFCD or land, uh, land department to ask them to rethink about these uh, measures of rescheduling and relocating the cable laying process, which may affect the future of the fitness purposes and also dolphins. Yeah, so Tyson, you mentioned AFCD, which is Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation yeah. Department. Uh, where do they show up in this? <laughs> so they have been a very nice department to work with. I mean, a lot of people inside the department are really enthusiastic about uh, conservation, marine conservation. But uh, they, I would simply say they don't have a lot of power amongst government departments that they cannot really make a lot of decisions to, uh, in the sense that they have to look up to other departments to see what their decisions are and wait for, just respond to their decisions. So they, they are doing some, a lot of works like uh, gazetting the marine protected area, designing, designing like the marine protected area, but after they have the draft, they have to pass through to a lot of other departments that may try to shrinking the, the original design of the marine protected area. That is really frustrating for some of our colleagues in AFCD also, but I think they don't have a very big role in these issues to say anything about So this. which government departments have the clout? I think we know that every project like this involves multiple government departments, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think in terms of marine conservation, I would say maybe the marine department has a lot to say, or and also the, the Deve development department, bu De development bureau. I, I do not remember the exact well, name. Marine department should really be called shipping department. Yeah, they? yeah, right. That's right. They have a lot of like power over a lot of developments in our marine environments. So is it the head of marine that people should write to? Yeah, they can also write to, like they can just write the letters and address it to multiple departments that, it, that, is, that are responsible to this issue. I think that's the best way, best way to get to the uh, people or department in charge of this. Doris, what do you think? Yeah, and also um, the director for uh, or yeah, the secretary for uh, the environmental protection department because they are the department exactly. So they are the department dealing with all the EIA um, issues and also uh, the environmental bureau as well because they uh, so for environmental bureau, so they actually have the BSAP plan, biodiversity uh, strategy and action plan. So ending in 2021. So for that one, uh, both Chinese white dolphin and and also like fitness porpoise will be the priority species that we'll have to conserve. 
Mm. Now, when uh, someone applies uh, for an amendment of uh, the environmental permit, there's no requirement for a public consultation, is there? So, Not is really. It, do, do, do you feel like that's some kind of loophole? Yes, because to our understanding, uh, public consultation will only be officially uh, uh, carried out when uh, the project profile or the EIA report is out for uh, public inspection. But then for a variation of environmental permit or an application of a further environmental permit, so all these will only be, the communication or the discussion will only um, constrain among uh, the environmental or, or the government departments. So we were, we're kind of like um, afraid that for for this uh, approval that will set a very bad precedent uh, for um, for future projects because like uh, we're afraid for project proponent, they can present a very good EIA report fulfilling both government and also public's requirements, but then we'll take out all these conditions afterwards and then like to use the version which is not approved by specialists and conservationists. So we, we, we have to, here we have to show our very strong opposition against this action, lacking of um, transparency and also um, public support. Mm -hmm. Gary Stokes, do you have much uh, a personal contact with different government departments? Um, yes, I mean, I, I've worked yeah, closely, I've been doing a lot of work on uh, illegal fishing around exactly that same area, and I've been working a lot with AFCD uh, and also Marine Police on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get I get where we're saying with the AFCD, their hands are slightly tied somewhat. They don't have the full power that they need, um, and especially when I was doing the illegal fishing. Um, you know, they needed the backup of the police, for example, to be able to go and arrest and things. Um, but when it comes to these EIAs, I mean, they're rushed through. I mean, uh, the consultation period, it goes out, people write in, nobody really hears anything, it just gets green-lighted. And uh, as Doris says, uh, that's the scary thing is, one, it goes through so fast, but then the amendments that could be made without really much consultation at all. That's, that's the worrying part. Hmm. Um, th when the uh, uh, incinerator off Sekou Chao was under, uh, when, it, when it's proposed and then under planning, there was a lot of concern about it, about its environmental impact. While it went ahead, it's, it's being built now. Um, but when it's finished, uh, presumably there are going to be garbage barges going up and down in the area um, all the time. I mean, what, what do you think yeah. may be the, you know, going forward, the, uh, the impact on the you know, on the local marine environment once the incinerator's up and running? Well, one, one, of, the, one of the concerns that, that, that we put forward was the fact that, you know, these garbage uh, vessels, as you quite rightly point out, will be going across uh, one of the busiest shipping lanes on the planet that uh, comes up in through Hong Kong and up, you know, the West Lama Channel uh, and up through and under the bridge up to China. Um, these vessels are going to navigate that, when we have the Macau opened up, we have all the high-speed ferries as well. They have to navigate that. Um, and, you know, this is the solution, is all of Hong Kong's trash, and we produce more trash than most countries on the planet per capita, and the, the, the silver bullet has always been, oh, well, we're just going to burn it. Another question was, where's all the ash going to go? And that's never been answered. So when it comes to these EIAs, they are very loose. So where does the ash go? That's still a mystery. 
it falls on us, I imagine. Well, well, no. So when you burn, say, like ten tons of, uh, of garbage, you're going to end up with some ash at the bottom. Um, and whether that's going to be used for landfill or, or maybe possibly reclamation for the East Lantau metropolis, who knows? But we haven't ever got an answer of where the ash is going to go from this incinerator. It's just it's a it's a you know it's. It seems to be the only solution to our plastic problem, which is uh, which is very frightening. Rather than uh, looking and investing in recycling and reusing and reducing, we're just burning it all. Tyson Cheng? Um, I think uh, Gary just spot on on one point that um, in the e whole EIA process, maybe when you are looking at the incinerator alone, that will not bring a really great impact on the marine environment. But if we are looking at the at a big picture, like there are a lot of things going on around that water and there's a lot of things planning for the future. That's uh, cumulative impact is not one of the consideration in most of the uh, environmental impact assessment uh, process. That it is one of the uh, uh, flaws or loophole in the EIA process in Hong Kong that uh, is not like a lot like different things happening can have cumulative impact on our marine environment and we a lot of the impact what that we still do not know the exact like how that will have a negative impact on the on our environment like the ashes from the incinerator the, the reason why they moved the, in, the incinerator to such a remote area is because the government knows there will be a negative impact on humans so that they really want to move that to a really far area from human population that um, somehow uh, proves that, that there may be some negative impact on all the marine uh, animals or biodiversity around that area that we don't know. So we really need to think about like the whole EIA process again and how to really fill in all the gaps in the EIA process to make it a really uh, working uh, procedures for protecting our environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for marine mammals, we were more con most concerned about uh, the marine traffic uh, impacts. So as Tyson said, like the LNG works will follow the IWMF works, and they're uh, existing. Like currently, we have high-speed ferries and a lot of cargo ships using the South Lantau waters. So uh, when the incinerator is built, so presumably there will be more vessels operating in waters around that area. Um, but existingly, we, we kind of like underestimate the acoustic, uh, acoustic impact and we're not very sure about the impacts on the animal behavior as well. So um, we, we're like very worried about like both Chinese white dolphins and the proper survival given um, the marine traffic will, will like exponentially increase. Uh, Gary mentioned the Macau ferries, which of course uh, haven't been running for quite a long time now. Um, do, uh, has that made a difference? Do you think to you know to the area to the, the you know to the quality of life for the mm -hmm. marine mammals off South Lantau? Well, yes, definitely. I mean, we've we've seen a, an increase in uh, in usage of South Lantau waters. Um, you know, we've seen some of the Chinese white dolphins coming back that we haven't seen individuals that have been coming back that we haven't seen for a few years um so that area um definitely is is a key as 
as I think it was Tyson mentioned, you know, it was almost like a, a sanctuary area where with all the waters and construction projects going on around the, the, the region, this area could be sort of almost like a hope spot sort of thing. But unfortunately, now we're adding all these construction uh, projects. Um, but the other thing is, obviously, uh, you know, these high-speed ferries are also um, one of the one of the uh, contributors to the porpoise deaths. I mean, we get every year we get quite a few wash-up on the South Lantau coast that have been chopped in half. Um, so it's been quite a relief not having the Macau ferries running. And now that we have the bridge that we've spent all this money on, I would hope we would be able to almost do away with the ferries. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. Interesting. You mentioned the bridge because uh, there was a lot of concern while the construction was going on that it was going to be very disruptive to the Chinese white dolphins, in particular, uh, to their habitat. Um, I mean, now the now the bridge was finished some time ago. Um, uh, I, I've seen I've seen the dolphins uh, swimming nearby. Um, is there any indication that the, the numbers around that area have picked up again, uh, Tyson? Uh, we do not see that yet in the government surveys, uh, mostly because there are still a lot of uh, construction projects going on around that area, like the third runway for the for the airport. And they're also planning to do more reclamation work in the northern uh, Lanta waters, like Longku Chao and Xiu um, Wan area, which are all around that area. So um, maybe like around the bridge area it is always it has been always the habitat used by the dolphins so you may be lucky to see one there <laughs> so we they, they may be just transposing that area uh, sometimes but we are seeing the dolphins are using a lot more in the western part like like southern uh, part and the, and the south, southern part of the lentil so so off tayo of Taiwo down to and Fan Lao, yeah, and the and the southern water like uh, Soko Islands and the inshore water of South Lantau. So we d do not see a increase of abundance or uh, density of dolphins in the lofton Lantau yet. But we are hoping to see that when everything is finished, and there we we are really hoping to see there will be no more construction work happening in the North Lantau waters in the future. Mm -hmm. just, really just one other threat that we are seeing a lot right now, which we really need uh, getting addressed, is the amount of smuggling vessels that are coming across. Uh, we're seeing literally fleets of these large die phase with six engines on the back racing up through the west of Lantau. Um, colleagues were out the other day, they had about 40 of these large boats steaming right through the, the marine park. Um, so when we're talking about vessel uh, challenges and issues, uh, these, this is a serious problem. I know the marine police are trying to address it, but it seems like a, a stampede out there some, some days. What are they smuggling, um, Gary? Uh, we've been told that they're smuggling uh, high-quality meats and seafood out to China. Um, but to avoid the tariffs and duty, um, and also have been bringing people in. So uh, the Marine Police are well aware of this. They are uh, working, I know, with the Chinese Coast Guards, uh, they were doing before, um, to some, some degree of success. But the last month or so, it has absolutely gone insane. And, I mean, I had a confrontation with uh, four of these dive phase 
right in the middle of uh, the area between south of Changsha. So I put that on our Facebook page, but we had four of these big daifeis just sitting there in the middle of the day, and they're just waiting to, to do their run. Um, and nobody's, nobody's addressing it because they haven't actually committed the crime until they've loaded something on, and then they take off. And by the time they take off, you've got one to two minutes before they've crossed the border. Are they Hong Kong so, vessels or Chinese vessels? We believe they're mainland vessels, but we, we, we may be mistaken. They may be uh, affiliated with organized crime and things in Hong Kong as well. Um, there's definitely cooperation on both sides of the border to smuggle. Um, and we're going back to the days of, like, the 90s. Yes, where, it sounds like the old days. Yeah, the old days out of Tolo Channel. Um, and across Dyer Bay, and, and uh, it's really quite frightening. Uh, I've been out there um, and seen these boats, and when you have a boat coming at you that's doing sort of 40 to 50 knots, and it's solid steel, um, yeah. Are they in the, in the uh, Macau Ferry um, channel? Um, we've had them. They're coming up from the sort of southwest, and they're coming up to Fan Lao and running up. And they're actually sitting underneath the bridge, all sort of tied up in a row underneath the bridge, waiting. Um, and they're, they're very, very uh, you know, overt about it. They're just sitting there, and um, it's, it's, it's insane. Okay, uh, Doris, you were going to make a point? Yeah, we actually uh, expressed a concern about the situation to the government in the um, Remembo Conservation Working Group, so one of the working groups uh, within AFCD. But then they expressed concern and difficulty of... Um, doing uh, patrolling at night because they thought like for all these illegal activities they mainly happen like during night time but what we observe or like a lot of green group or i think it's the same case for gary as well so we actually like saw them during daytime as well and like last friday we even like saw them moving at a very high speed in the south and west um Lantau Marine Park, so which should be managed by AFCD, and and after just right after um the the illegal vessel passed by, and then we saw the um, patrol boat from China and also from Hong Kong, and all these illegal fishing boat they just disappeared. Mm -hmm. So we do think we we need a an, a coordinate uh, patrol and also regulation by both. Um, the Guangdong and also the Hong Kong government. Okay, okay. Well, I guess this is an issue that we'll be returning to at, uh, at some stage, but thank you very much, uh, all of you, for taking part in our programme this morning. That was uh, Doris Wu, Project Manager for Cetacean Conservation at WWF Hong Kong. Uh, thanks also to Gary Stokes, Co-Founder and Director of Operations for Oceans Asia, formerly the Asia Director for Sea Shepherd Global. And thank you to uh, Tyson Chang, uh, Chairman of Hong Kong uh, Dolphin Conservation Society. And for our, our, our second and uh, shorter topic this morning, um, we're going to look at rent controls on um, subdivided flats because uh, the administration has uh, proposed uh, altering the uh, cap on rent increases for subdivided flats uh, to, well, uh, lowering from 15% to 10%. Um, and that is in uh, that's an amendment to a tenancy control bill that the authorities hope to have passed by next month. And we're joined on the line by Celia Shan, who's community organizer, organizer with the Society for Community Organisation, SOCO for short. So, uh, Celia Shan, good morning to you. 
So um, you must be in favour of this proposal, yeah, to lower the cap on rent increases for subdivided flats. Uh, we, we, we welcome the lower of the cap uh, because the 15% is too high. Um, uh, although 10% is still high, but it's, it's more reasonable than 15%. Um, for Actually, we have surveyed most of the um, tenants. They thought uh, 5% is more uh, uh, um, uh, they'll be more comfortable. And I think in the past two years, uh, because of COVID-19, um, actually, they, they ha- no one can afford to have any increase of rent. But we still find they are um, around uh, nearly 20% of the rent, or they, they raise the rent. And some of them, they quite crazy, uh, over, raise over 10%. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we do worry if the, the cap is too high and they cannot afford that. Because yeah. people who live in subdivided flats uh, actually tend to spend a, a much higher proportion of their income on their rent, don't they? Yes, yes. Actually, they they um, they um, around forty percent of their income is um, go to the rent, and besides the electricity fee and the um, water uh, fee, also is very high. So the total of them is over forty percent. So what what would be a typical uh, rent bill for a typical? I know there's no such thing as a typical, but a typical subdivided flat per month. Um, I don't know. Is um, if for for you know the subdivided flat is uh, some of them that means they have a individual color inside the room, and they uh, generally is uh, over four thousand uh, 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 around one hundred square feet. What? Yeah. So four thousand for one hundred square feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or less than one hundred, uh, one hundred square feet. Yeah, um, um, and actually, it's increased rent every year. Um, so the landlord they will not have two years terms of um, the tenancy, and and if for the, those cage homes, they sometimes they are they don't have tenancy agreement paper, and then they they the landlord can increase them uh, every few months. So um, some of them is quite crazy. They increase twenty um, percent, or even fifty uh, percent, or something like that. Um, so, so I think it's it's very important to control the increase. But yeah. if there's no lease, how can you control any increase? <laughs> yes, but they they still do that because I think there's they have a market. They they don't work. They don't they don't worry, and no one rents them. So and there's an imbalance of the power between the mm and uh, tenants. We don't have any protection for the tenants. Well, part of these uh, proposals is for a standard tenancy for agreement for two years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so that would be better. And uh, But I think the, the law, they did not uh, regulate the, the, uh, the price of um, or the level of the rent, actually. Now the level of rent is uh, too, already too high. Mm. So um, already uh, beyond the affability of those people, so um, we, 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 we think we highly recommend and request the government to uh, regulate the, the level of rent original and then, and then also um, control the uh, increase of the rent. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you see the comments by the, the, the Hong Kong Owners Club, which is uh, uh, an organisation of landlords? Uh, its president, uh, Diamond Shea, said uh, it objected to um, the government labelling them as uh, bad and mean people. This is uh, the, the landlords um, um, in this uh, amendment to cap rent rises for subdivided flats. And then he goes on to say that... Uh, 
um, um, it I might it might actually end up reducing the uh, you know the supply of flats. Yeah, yeah. I think I think not all the landlords they are bad. Uh, some of them are they are quite good. So um, I don't think we have the legislation on rent control that mean all the landlords are bad. But I think as a modern society, civilized society, we should have a, we should have balanced law to uh, balance all the um, power uh, parties. And and in the past uh, twenty years, actually, we do we don't have any balanced law to protect those tenants. Tenants. So so um, it's unfair for those uh, rent the uh, apartments, and they they don't have any say. Or even they make campaigns to government. The government say, "Oh, I'm sorry, we can help you. We do have law to to help." And so I think it's it's more balanced. Uh, um, we have a um, legislation, and everyone have a say. And I I don't think the the landlord they will withdraw their their uh, apartment not to rent because um, they also need to make money. And and um, in the past, it means actually we have a experience to legislation on rent control before 1998. Mm. Uh, we didn't see there's a big uh, uh, effect on the home market uh, of surprise, this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, one, one suggestion is that landlords might turn their subdivided units uh, back into single flats uh, uh, to rent out or to sell. Uh, we don't know, but I think they still will have supply of the subdivided flat, or even they they uh, rent it to a whole flat, and the people they will, uh, uh, they can combine to 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 share the the flat, because actually they cannot afford. Why there's a market of cage home cubicles subdivided flat? Because they cannot afford a whole flat. Mm-hmm. And why the landlord they divide it? Because there are no de- less demand of one flat. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us on the program this morning. Uh, Celia Shen, there, community organizer for the Society for Community Organization. Um, uh, one uh, comment here um, on our uh, Facebook page uh, on our topic earlier about the work going on around the Seku Chow incinerator. Um, um, Marin Pierce uh, says uh, it's not only CLP. Uh, CLP's power cable to Seku Chow, uh, though um, also happening now is the laying of the CLP and Hong Kong electric uh, gas cable from the LNG terminal by the SOCOs. So there is continuing noise. Does the government take into account in the EIA process multiple projects happening at the same time? That from Merrin. Okay, um, thank you to our listeners. Uh, Thank you to once again to our guests. um, And thanks to you, Anna. And uh, just before we go this morning to the news summary and morning brew, a quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, hot with sunny periods and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms later, top temperature around 32 degrees in the urban areas, uh, higher in the new territories, light winds. The outlook, occasional showers in the next couple of days. Sunny periods during the weekend, it's currently 30 degrees, humidity 72%. To defeat the COVID-19 epidemic and resume normal life, everyone should get vaccinated. No matter how young or fit we are, we may still be infected. Even if the infection is mild, the disease may also have long-term impacts on your health. Vaccination provides protection to ward off new strains of the virus. For the health of yourself and your family, and for the resumption of normal life, go for it. We will win by getting vaccinated together. And now the new summary with Todd Harding.
The Chinese ambassador to Britain has been banned from attending an event in the country's parliament because Beijing imposed sanctions earlier this year on lawmakers who highlighted alleged human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Beijing has condemned the decision as despicable and cowardly. A prisoner's rights advocate says he doesn't see how the activities of prison concern groups can endanger national security. Richard Choi from the Society for Community Organisation was commenting after the group Wallfare disbanded. Last week, the security minister said outside groups were encouraging inmates to recruit followers to endanger national security. Bookings have opened for non-Hong Kong residents who have been in Macau or Guangdong province for the past 14 days to apply for quarantine-free entry to Hong Kong. The arrangement is part of the government's Come to HK scheme, which allows for 2,000 such arrivals per day. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, also shy, quiet, and retiring doggy cats, co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Disciple of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In just interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Wednesday and the Morning Brew here on Radio 3. I'm Phil Whelan and at 10.40 today, our midweek classical music chat with composer and conductor Colin Touchin. Well, historically, today won't be so classical, if you like, more like 20th century sprinkling of medievalness as he wants to talk about music that focuses and calms the mind. It's been around since Pontius was a pilot. Now, if you're a fan of Philip Glass, Philip Glass, Philip Glass, then you might want to enjoy the music we're going to be playing today. After 11.30, RTL France's Philippe Devar will join us from Paris, live, with all of his news and a musical tribute to Johnny Halliday. Chris Watts is still away. He will rejoin us as soon as he can. And in the meantime, keep on bending. Yeah. 